We are starting a new series today called The Forgotten. A study on forgetfulness um, commissioned by the Post-it brand um, found that the average person forgets four things a day. I don't know about you, but that would be a great day if I only forgot four things a day. Um, the study lists the top 50 things that people forget, and they referred to it as the forgotten 50. So I'm going to read all of them to you right now. No, I'm joking. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to read all 50, but I would like to read the top 10 uh, things that people forget. They forget what you went into a room for. Anyone ever done that? Misplacing your keys. But I've done that a hundred times. Matter of fact, I do it most often with my church keys. And I, I asked Tina, I'm like, hey, have you seen my keys? Where did I set them? She goes, well, if you'd put them where they go, you'd know where they are. And she's not wrong. Um, forgetting things at the grocery store. Forgetting people's names. Forgetting where you put your pen. Forgetting to take meat out to defrost which apparently these people don't have microwaves, so I don't know what the deal is. Um, forgetting to respond to an email or a text message. Forgetting to post something. Forgetting what you're searching online for. Forgetting where your car is parked. My favorite thing has been now that on my iPhone, it will show up and it will say, your car is parked here, and it drops a pin, so I never have to worry about where my car is again. Those things are incredibly frustrating. But, but really, you're going to find your keys. You can go out to eat, right? And, and pens are cheap, right? You, you can bluff and, and call people bot or friend, and eventually you'll find your car. Now, none of that is a big deal. But some forgetful moments are bad, right? It, it's bad if you forget to tell the Chick-fil-A person to make your husband a spicy chicken sandwich, right? And so they forget to put it in the bag. And I'm, I'm sure that's happened to somebody in here, right? I, uh, it's never good to forget your wedding anniversary, right? Whether you forget the date or you just get the number wrong, it's bad. It's really, really bad. Don't do that. I've forgotten my hotel room number. Anybody ever done that one? I have had to do that walk of shame where you walk through the hall putting your card into every door to see which one of them opens. I've even had to call down to the front desk and go, hey, this is Jason Ellis. Can you tell me which room I'm in again? I've supposedly forgotten when things happen. Tina and I were married, hadn't been married very long, and, and I asked her if she remembered this time that I got a 50-piece chicken McNugget from McDonald's, and I ate it all. It was a Super Bowl Sunday. And she looked at me and said, that wasn't me. That must have been someone else. My heart dropped into my ankles because I'm sitting here in my head going, man, I am positive as her, but man, if I am wrong and it was some other girl, I am dead. And she kept it up. For like five minutes, and she can just see the worry and like the dread on my face. And then finally she goes, oh, I'm just joking, that was me. <sighs> Everybody else thought it was hilarious. I, even to this day, don't find the humor in it. 
I've forgotten when I was a youth pastor, I forgot a student at a gas station in New Mexico. We were heading out on a mission trip out to Arizona, and, and we had left, and we were about 30 miles down the road before I realized my mistake. That was not a pleasant phone call back to my senior pastor and back to that student's parents. Now, my, luckily, that student's parents were humorous about him. Like, well, he probably did some for you to leave him there, so we don't blame you. Um, but, man, forgetting things is a big deal, and lots of people forget things. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I asked on my Facebook page, what's the worst thing you've ever forgotten? And the answers were amazing. Uh, one of them said, my, my lunch on the counter as I rush out the door. And it happens often. A pastor friend of mine said, I had a speaking engagement at a university, and the university president called 30 minutes before I was supposed to speak and said, hey, I want to take you to lunch afterwards. I had forgotten about it, and I was five hours away. Not good. Another friend said, I forgot to go to a teacher convention that the school had already paid for. Luckily, they found someone else to send in my place. My mom said, I forgot my suitcase when I went to Houston one time for a training class. I left it in the front yard next to the driveway. Uh, Jenny said that she forgot a major exam when she was in college. It was followed by a bunch of like grimacing teeth. So I don't know how she did, but based on, yeah, not, not very good. And so don't forget that. Um, another person said, I forgot to pick up my wife for our date. Um, another friend of mine said that he forgot to turn off the shower, and his wife went back upstairs and found the shower running hours later. Uh, another friend said that I forgot to park my truck, and, and then I just proceeded to open the door and get out of it while it was still in drive. Pastor John Carabin over in Grosbeck said that he forgot a, a gallon of milk in his truck during the summer. May not seem that bad, but in the summer heat, that milk carton exploded and he had curdled milk everywhere. A couple of weeks later and two bottles of Febreze, my truck still smells like curdled milk. Back when we were youth pastors, we... Uh, I, I, it was my duty to fill the baptistry, and, and this baptistry was old and didn't have the automatic kickoff um, to shut the water off, and so I'd set it and was in the, uh, I was in the uh, office there getting ready for either worship or a message, something that was going on that next week, and then one of my youth leaders showed up, and he and I started talking. We were outside the church, and uh, we were in mid-conversation, and then all of a sudden it hit me that I had left the baptistry on. And I went, oh, no, and took off running into the church. Now, this church had a slope to it. And when I got to the bottom, I was standing in about mid-shin amount of water in our sanctuary on a Saturday night. That was not a pleasant phone call. Um, ruined the carpet. Uh, yeah, that was not fun. I, I think one of the most gut-wrenching feelings is when you forget your kid, right? You left them at church, or you forgot to pick them up at school, or you forgot that you were going to go do something. Um, at the moment, it, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but trust me, they're going to use it against you the rest 
of their life. I'm looking at Danny and her family, and Danny, Danny, you never let her forget it, right? You're going to use that anytime you do something stupid so that you can be like, well, you forgot me once. Uh, man, she said twice. <laughs> but I've discovered that I'm not the only one who's left my kids somewhere um, based on Facebook. And judging by the response to my question, lots of kids have been forgotten. Um, one of them said, I forgot to pick up my mijo from school. Another said, I left my child in the car. But it was just for a few minutes before I realized it. Another friend said, when we were younger, I forgot my brother in town and left him when I went to Waco. Uh, another friend said, forgot my daughter at church. The preacher brought her home. Forgot my child. I was working in the kitchen and forgot to get him after service. I was crying. Another said, I left my five-year-old son sleeping at church on a Sunday night. Um, another of them said, I left my three kids at daycare. I thought it was their mother's turn to pick them out. Turns out I was wrong. Forgot to get my kids from nursery even though I have two other children. I went to start loading everything up and realized that I didn't have my youngest with me. Left one of my youth kids at a restaurant. Didn't realize that they were in a restroom. Um, this one's for me. I've forgotten to pick up my kids from our children's ministries on Sunday morning and start walking out of the church and thinking that Tina had our kids where she thought that I had them. And then only to find Pastor Whitney coming very quickly going, hey, here's your kids. Take them with you. Um, Man, I, I think it's worth asking the question, how does this happen, right? How in the world can a parent forget their child, right? How can a loving, wise, and wonderful parent like me forget their children at church? What causes that? I think there's five possibilities. Number one, I, I, you're distracted and you forget what matters most. You're focused on a grocery list or your phone, your job, or, or how tired you are. You love your kid. You know they're important. You're just thinking about someone or something else. Number two, you're busy. And in that busyness, you forget. You love your kid. You just have a lot going on. It's hard to keep track of everything you've got to accomplish and everywhere you've got to be. Number three, you have other priorities. It's not that, that any of them matter any more than your kid, but you have a lot of things to worry about think about, and take care of. Number four, I believe it happens because you don't intentionally remember, so you forget. I've learned that if I don't keep something in front of me, it's easy to lose track. That's why for me, I set reminders in my phone on my computer. Um, I, I put things on my calendar, and, and I ask people to remind me of stuff. And sometimes I even put something in front of me so that I don't forget. Right, and so like if I've got to take something home for Tina, oftentimes I'll put it on top of something that I'm not going to leave without. So I'll put it on top of my wallet or, or my keys or my phone just to ensure that I get it home. Because an intentional reminder helps me keep focused on what I need to do. Fifth reason I believe is that you forget because you think someone else is taking care of it. Right, it's your husband's day to pick up the kids, or, or you think they're going to ride the bus. You didn't forget your precious baby. It's just not your day to pick them up. Someone else is supposed to take care of that for you. 
if you will forget your child, which is the most precious thing in the world, then you'll forget just about anything. Unfortunately, that doesn't just apply to wallets, keys, weddings, children. The same tendency to forget happens with the commands of God. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's going to happen. Everyone will hear. And then a few weeks later, after Jesus had risen from the dead and before he returned to heaven, Jesus made it clear how it was going to happen. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That command came with a promise. And as you go and as you carry out my command, and surely I am with you even until the end of the age. See, this gospel will be preached until the whole world, to all nations. The task will be accomplished because followers of Jesus will obey his commands and go make disciples. And as we go, Jesus promised to be with us. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus gave us this command. So, how are we doing? Well, there are 17,023 people groups in the world. And of those, 7,087 are considered unreached. That's 41.6% of all people groups. Many of those people have never heard about Jesus and have no opportunity to hear about Jesus. No church, no witness, no missionary, no Christian TV, no Christian radio, no chance to hear about Jesus and his love. You might say, well, those are people groups, Pastor. Right? Those are probably just a bunch of really remote tribes and hard-to-reach places. Okay, let's explore that. There are 7.59 billion people in the world. And of those, 3.4 billion people have yet to hear about Jesus. That's 41.4% of the population. Almost exactly the same percentage as the people groups. How is that possible? Right? Given the command and the promise of Jesus, how are there that many, how are there more unreached people groups in the world today than existed when Jesus first gave the command? Maybe it's because we're distracted and we forget what matters most. You're not intentionally disobedient. You're just thinking about someone or something else. Right? We're busy, and in that busyness, sometimes we forget the most important thing. It's hard enough to remember everything that you have to do and everywhere that you have to go, let alone obey the Lord's commands. Maybe it's because we have other priorities. Something matters more than people who don't know Jesus. I know that sounds harsh, but we've got to deal with the realities behind why we are neglecting the commands of Jesus. People can tell you their priorities, but the best way to determine someone's priorities is by where they put their time and their money. 
That's what has the greatest value and worth to them. That's what matters most. And for the typical person, here's their priority order. Number one is what I want. What I want. It's about money. It's about a a boat, a new truck. It's a new purse with shoes to match. We care about the things that we want the most. The second thing is what I need. Food, clothes, roof over my head, and air conditioning are the four biggest needs that we've got. So we've got our wants, we've got our needs, and then we go with what someone else needs. Right after I've taken care of what I want and what I need, then maybe, just maybe, I'll take care of someone else's needs. And lastly, our last priority is what God commands. You see, the commands of Jesus come after our own wants, our needs, and other people's needs. When you put God and his kingdom first, the order of your priorities is completely flipped. Right? When you put God first, your first priority becomes what God commands. Your first priority becomes what God commands. Can I tell you, that's the reason that the very first transaction after I get paid is my tithes to the church. And then my second one is my missions offering. Then after you've taken care of God's commands, then we go to what someone else needs. Why? Because when we follow God's commands, it makes us want to meet other people's needs. It makes us want to help others. Then we go to what I need, right? It's what I need or what my family needs. And then last becomes what I want. You see, that reflects the thinking order of someone who has remembered the command of Jesus and made it a central priority in their life. I think the the fifth reason is because it could be that you don't intentionally remember, so you forget. You haven't built a mechanism into your schedule or your finances to make sure that people who don't know Jesus is a top priority. I challenge you, don't forget. Right? Set up your missions giving as an automatic gift so that you're never tempted to neglect it or to treat it as less of a priority. Do something to remind you to give and to pray for those around the world. Is the task going to be completed? Yes. Jesus said that it would happen. And it's happening supernaturally around the world. I'm going to read to you a report from one of our missionaries in the Middle East. An hour before dusk, I, I wandered the main strip of the city asking God to lead me to someone who is ready to hear and receive the truth about Jesus. The moment I saw Zumi, I knew this was God's answer. 
I sat down at the table near his, and immediately he invited me to join him in breaking the Ramadan fast. Over the next few hours, the opportunities to share the gospel were many, and Zumi ate them up quickly, as, as quickly as his tomato soup after a long day of fasting. He wanted more. I told him there was more in our holy book, and he asked where he could get one. And Zumi's phone troubles made it impossible for us to arrange a follow-up meeting. But God had made it incredibly obvious that he had led me to Zumi and that this was someone he had prepared to hear the gospel. So as I prayed the next day to go out in search of Zumi, I prayed, God, if you are working in Zumi's life, lead me to him again. I continued to pray as I walked around the city of our, of our city of one million people. And within 10 minutes, I found Zumi. And his first words were, did you bring me the New Testament? That should have come as no surprise considering the miracles that already took place. As we walked to a quieter part of the city to start reading the Gospel of Mark, a stranger greeted us from across the road. And after a quick hello, he turned to Zumi while pointing at me and said, this man has something to teach you. Listen to him. And he walked away. A few days later, I was overwhelmed in prayer for Zumi. I could not deny that God was at work in his life, but despite all of the signs, I felt desperate that Zumi would not yield to what God was doing. I cried out in prayer repeatedly, God, have mercy on Zumi. That evening, I met Zumi, and he shared that he had finished reading Mark and was ready for more. And so we jumped in a taxi to hurry across the city. I was nearly in tears sitting next to him in the taxi, because the presence of God was so thick. The taxi driver had a prayer on repeat in the car for everyone to recite together, which is very common in Muslim countries. It was not so much a prayer, but a declaration. And the speakers repeated, God is having mercy on Zumi. God is having mercy on Zumi. God indeed was showing Zumi his mercy. Zumi declined, joining his friends in the mosque for evening prayer so that we could have some time to talk privately. He said, can I go to church with you? He asked. Why, I replied, because I want to be a Christian. And skeptical for no good reason, I drilled Zumi for the next hour on the truths of the Bible. I asked him to repeat each of these key truths back to me in the way that he understood them. And after each accurate explanation, I asked if he believed it, and yes was the only answer that he gave. Zumi's friends rejoined us, and they were frustrated that we had not prayed with them. They didn't attack Zumi, though, but me. And for the next two hours, they attacked everything I believed about Jesus, often aggressively and mockingly. I tried to explain what I believed the best I could, but little opportunity was given and less patience was shown. Zumi sat quietly. As Zumi and I walked home, we picked up where we left off. Zumi, if you decide to follow Jesus, how are you going to respond to these guys when they talk to you like they talk to me? He half rolled his eyes in the same way that he had as I was mercilessly drilling him on the death and resurrection of Jesus. He said, why do you keep saying, if I decide to follow Jesus, I've already decided? Zumi's first days as a believer have been some of the most overwhelming and most joyful for both of us. Tears of joy have filled my eyes since Ramadan began, and I haven't been able to hold them back as I watch him sing Moroccan worship songs in the street, and as he kisses his Bible each time as he reads it, and as he awkwardly mocks my words and movements in our prayer times, and as he shares the gospel with his brother. 
Only God could put those circumstances together. In August, a friend of mine was, was in Africa, and he was sitting at a meal, with, and, a, with, and the friend decided to ask the waiter what religion he was. And the waiter responded with, I'm a Christian. And my friend asked him to, to share his story. And he said, my brother was very sick. The doctor couldn't help him. The local leader, which we know to be a witch doctor, couldn't help him. But I heard that, that people were being healed at the Assemblies of God Church. So I took my brother there. They prayed for him, and he was healed. Now me and my whole family follow Jesus, and we invite every sick person we know to come to church with us. Listen, God is working supernaturally. The question is, are you going to be a part of it? Here's the fifth reason that missions is forgotten, is we, we think that someone else is taking care of it. I've actually heard people say, well, I just don't do missions. I've, I've heard churches say, missions really isn't our thing. Really? Somehow you found an exception from obedience? I'd love to see that in Scripture. Listen, missions is not a responsibility that can be assigned to missionaries. We all have the same command. We all have a part in accomplishing the task. Now listen, I understand that not everyone will be called by God to serve in far-off places to reach unreached people groups. But we all can make a decision concerning missions. Will I give so that others can go? Will I give so that people can learn about Jesus and his love? Will I share my faith with people right here where I live? Will I make missions and the unreached a daily matter of prayer? Or will you let another opportunity pass you by? Everyone is called to pray. And you're either called to give or to go. Anytime Tina and I go to a mission service, we walk into that with two fears. Tina fears that in the midst of the service, God will move on my heart and I'll give every single penny we've got to missions. My fear is that God will move on Tina's heart and he'll call us to go be a missionary somewhere else. But you know what we decided a long time ago? Is if God does either of those, we're ready to be obedient to his calling on our lives. Why? Because his obedience means more to us than our finances or our security and comfort. Listen, if God told us to give everything we have and we would do it again. If God called us to go, we would go. But until then, we have made the decision to give, to share his love to a world around us, a top priority in our lives. And can I tell you, this is reflected in our finances. 
Just because we are not going doesn't mean that we can ignore the command. We refuse to leave it up to someone else. We want to do our part and then some. There in your bulletin, there's a card that looks like this. I want you to grab that if you will. If you don't have one and you'd like one, just raise up your hand real quick and one of our guys will grab one for you real quick. Every year, Tina and I make a a commitment to missions. We have given to missions on a monthly basis for several years now. Most of our marriage. Last year, we started giving weekly to missions. Why? Because we believe in it. And back in August, we raised it again so that we were giving $5 each for every single member of our family. But you know what we're going to do now just a couple months later? We're going to raise our, our pledge again. Why? Because we believe that Jesus assigned it as a central priority for believers. We want our finances to match his priorities. Our goal is for our missions giving to be the highest expenditure that we have. Now listen, we're not there yet. But we are in the process of paying off and paying down debt so that we can get there. Here's the reality. is is We just can't see paying more for a car or cable TV or eating out or or high-speed internet or Netflix, then we pay to advance the kingdom of Jesus. Listen, there's nothing wrong with those things, but we want to be in balance. Listen, there's nothing wrong with TV. Well, there's plenty wrong with TV, but, but there's something wrong if it gets more of your resources than what you give to reach the lost around the world. You're really saying, I care more about filling my head with junk than I care about reaching people for Jesus. If we want something new and great, awesome. We do it. But you know what we do first? We increase our missions giving. Why? Because we've made missions a priority in our house. We did this in August when I bought my truck. We raised up our missions pledge. We want our priorities to reflect his priorities. Now listen, I understand that you might not be where we are right now. I get it. But I'm asking you to join me in giving more in 2019. This card is how we're going to make a commitment to give more in 2019, to give more in the next 12 months. What we will give to missions in response to Jesus' command. Now, I understand that some of you in here have never made a commitment to missions on a weekly or a monthly basis. I challenge you to start. I suggest that you start at $5 a week, which is less than the price of one Starbucks coffee, It's less than the price of one value meal at Sonic, Whataburger, or McDonald's. 
if we had one. Um, But I challenge you, even beyond that, I challenge you to not pay more for cable TV than you give to reach the world. Some of you in here have been given to fi- giving to missions $5 a week for, for each member of your family. Would you consider upping that to $6 a week? Do you know that if everyone that attends our church, if everyone gave just $1 more per week, then we would give more, uh, we'd give $4,000 more to missions alone. If everyone in our church gave $5 a week to missions, we'd give over $19,000 to missions next year. What do we do with your money? With your missions giving, we support six missionaries in five different countries. And in our bigger network, we join in supporting over 220 missionaries in 92 countries. Your regular giving is what keeps them on the field. Your regular weekly or monthly giving goes to keep people on the field in tough places so that people can hear about Jesus. Listen, we don't take out any administrative cost out of your missions dollar. Right? Not a single penny goes to overhead salaries or or travel or postage or fees. Instead, every single penny that you give to missions goes towards the mission to preach the gospel to the whole world. Now, also on that card is a line for you to write the name of a person that you're going to share Jesus with in 2019. I want you to write the name of someone on that card that you want to see commit to Jesus. And what's going to happen is I'm going to share those names with our team. And we're going to pray over those and join with you in believing for God to do that. And as you commit to sharing Jesus with them, we will pray with you that they respond. You say, Pastor Jason, what's my goal? Right? What dollar amount am I looking for? In all my years of being pastor, I have never asked people to give a set dollar amount. What I'm asking you to do, and my goal is that every single person in here would make the decision that when it comes to giving to missions, that they will not forget. What's my goal? That every single person in here would give to missions. I have one more thing before we fill out the cards. My other prayer is that if God speaks to your heart to go, that you'll respond with yes. That your heart will be open to the call of Jesus to go. You say, how can God ever use me? Listen, it's God's plan for all people. His highest call is to go. But listen, if you won't give, you'll never go. If you won't be obedient with five bucks, there's no way that you'll be obedient with your life. And so each one of us, whether we give or whether we go, are responsible to be obedient to the command of the Lord. So I want you to take a moment 
and fill out your commitment for 2019. And together, we're going to do more than we've ever done. Take just a couple of moments to fill out your commitment card there for me. this isn't just for the adults in the room, the students. Pick up this principle now. You'll never regret it. Give you just a couple more moments. ushers who served earlier are coming again. And as they come, I want to pray with you and ask you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you put it on the heart of someone else to share with me. Thank you that you put it on the heart to share with us. God, and because someone was obedient, we heard. Because someone was obedient, we made the decision to follow. Lord, I pray that you would use our obedience in the same way. God, we commit today, God, to give in response to your command. We want our priorities to reflect your priorities. But Lord, I pray that it would go beyond just skipping a cup of coffee every week. God, that our hearts would be open and we would be obedient. When you tell us to share, that we would share. God, when you tell us to give, that we would give. And Lord, when you tell us to go, we go because we know that the highest act of worship is obedience to you. We commit to that today. In Jesus' name, amen. As you pass the buckets, I want to remind you of one more thing. In the same way that people, that, that we have to be responsive to God, we are obedient to him because people are on his heart. People that don't know him are on God's heart. And I want you to know that God has not forgotten you. You may feel alone and lonely and forgotten. You might feel like nobody knows and nobody cares. But God knows and God cares. 
He knows exactly who you are, and he knows exactly what you need. You're on his heart. With every head bowed, every eye closed today, if that's you, and you say, man, I just, I feel forgotten, I feel alone. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. I see your hands. Anyone else? I see your hand. Anyone else? Heavenly Father, thank you that you never forget. God, that that you never forget who we are. God, you never forget about us. God, today I pray for people who feel forgotten. God, I pray that right now, God, that they would feel your presence and they would feel your love. But, But God, beyond that, Lord, help all of us to be responsive and caring enough so that everyone we encounter feels remembered. God, that that they know that they are remembered by us and they are remembered by you, Lord. God, we won't forget. In Jesus' name, amen.